Are dents and scratches putting a dent in your day? Introducing Rogerstein Crash Repairs Adelaide, your trusted solution for automotive woes. With over two decades of expertise, Rogerstein Crash Repairs guarantees top-notch service, restoring your vehicle to its former glory in no time. From minor dings to major collisions, our skilled technicians handle it all with precision and care using state-of-the-art equipment and techniques. Rogerstein Crash Repairs saved my car. It looks brand new. Fast, friendly and reliable. I wouldn't trust anyone else with my vehicle. Don't let accidents slow you down. Visit Rogerstein Crash Repairs Adelaide at 14 Penner Avenue, Glind for quality service you can count on. And here's a special offer just for our listeners. Mention this podcast and receive a $100 discount on your repair. Roger Steen Crash Repairs Adelaide. Excellence in every repair. Past players. Past legends. Past legends. Welcome to our past players and past legends series, and tonight we've actually got a past umpire, uh, Daryl Harper. Welcome Good aboard, evening. Harps. Now the nice to join you. The casual uh, ninety ninety four test matches, Daryl, from nineteen ninety eight to two thousand and eleven. Of course, you were on the international panel, uh, so you were on the member of the elite panel of umpires from two thousand and two to two thousand eleven. We'll come back to the finish of that at some stage, Harps. So now, welcome aboard. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. I don't want to be pedantic, but it was 95 tests, but there you go. That's only a number. Blame uh, blame Wikipedia for that one. Thanks, Harps. <laughs> don't, don't worry. I, I will uh, we, we'll thank Grant Wosley in advance for some of these questions too, Was You would be worried oh. if I hadn't done that. So, yes. Yes, I, that's true. Okay, uh, Daryl, we'll go back to the uh, you know, growing up in Paynham uh, and that... Uh, so where did your uh, own career start as well, playing-wise, well, playing uh, footy, cricket, the whole box and dice? Well, it all started at a school called Wellington Roads Primary School, which is, doesn't exist anymore. Well, it's had its name changed a couple of times. It's now Trinity Gardens Primary School. Yep. And uh, com- coming up in this year, 2023, uh, coming up shortly, we've got a, a reunion of those people that graduated in 1963. So Woz will be there. Grant Wesley will be there. It's 60 years since we completed Year 7, so that gives you a rough idea how old we are. Um, yeah, so that's, that's where we, we, we started playing footy and cricket, uh, in the street, after school, uh, in the area. Um, that's uh, that's how we kicked off. Paynham Cricket Club used to run a schoolboys competition in the mornings at the at the Oval on, uh, it's now called Portrush Road, Wellington Road in those yep. days. And uh, people like... Uh, uh, Keith Duke was still about the scene at that stage, and um, Keith, I think it was, was it Keith Plummer. Um, yes, geez, going back a long while now. Yeah. but th- those guys, those guys got us started. Grant Wasley, myself, and another guy by the name of Lyndon Hurst. We were a bit of a terrible trio. We uh, we played our cricket together uh, at school, after school, and whenever we could. And, uh, and yeah, that's re- how we kicked it off. Be remiss there not to give Keith Duke appropriate recognition, uh, Pete. Uh, Keith was an Australian record of 62 consecutive years as Secretary at Paynham, which is why Paynham Cricket Club are called the Dukes. Very smart man, thought of that name too, by the way, Harps, yes. Oh, did you? Uh, right. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, yeah, great guy. Then at, then at Nord High, then at Nord High, Harps? 
Yes, uh, we Grant Wasley and I certainly went to, straight up to Norwood High after primary school and we played our cricket for Norwood High. I can't actually remember too many coaches apart from one. One would have been Johnny Wildey, who was a West Torrens cricketer and he was our maths teacher, I think, in matric. Uh, and at the same time, we, we tried out for the Kensington School Boys, the January School Boys Carnival, and discovered we lived in the East Torrens zone. So we very quickly uh, rerouted our, our methods and went down to Norwood Oval and we we all joined uh, East Torrens as a district cricket club in about uh, or in our second or third year at high school, and uh, and 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 onward after that. I admit I was going to ask, I was going to lead to that because I wasn't sure if Pete knew that East Torrens used to that Nord Oval used to be East Torrens' yes, home ground. Absolutely, so, yes, yes. Playing at the home of football would have, would have been a buzz, Harps. Oh, a huge buzz! Not only the home of football. Uh, the mighty red legs, but also the home of uh, night baseball. Very, so yes. I was, I was, I was there so many times uh, each year for uh, certainly every Wednesday night for the baseball, and then eventually for the cricket. We we practiced on there and played on there a few times, and also of course to watch uh, you know the greatest SANFL club of the um, the last hundred and fifty years. Correct. Um, <laughs> no bias at all there. No, not at all. No, not at all. Uh, um, what was your baseball involvement, Harps? Uh, I played two years at Nord High School, and uh, I was coached by a fellow by the name of Dick Shirt in one of those years. Dick Shirt was a left-arm pitcher from Sydney, quite a, a wild man, a bit of a wild man, but uh, played for Australia. Um, I just, oh, oh, I always loved the baseball, especially after we were introduced to the game at Wellington Road Primary School by a group of Mormons. Mormon missionaries <laughs> came to school and wanted to teach us this new sport and we went out to practice a few times but we sort of shied away when they wanted to come into our homes and speak to our parents about uh, religion yes. so we lost a little bit of interest but yes. we certainly went to Nord over all the time we just just loved the baseball and yeah it's a it's a game that's always fascinated me and I still follow it extremely closely today I was recently down at uh, West Beach when South Australia or the the Giants managed to win their two games in the final series yeah. to bring home the Claxton Shield. First time in 43 years, I will say, in terms of the Mormons, I will give my brother-in-law, Edward, uh, recognition. He did let them in one day and then locked them in and said they'd listen to him. And uh, you should see they actually avoid uh, the place. They cross the road. They go nowhere near the place. It's, it was brilliant. He got rid of them for life. So you reckon that's the key, you that, reckon? Well, it was superb. Yeah. I might have to remember that. Yes. So, yeah, so then um, starting off at East Tyre, did you start at Paynham or East Torrens? Basically, there. No, I only played with Paynham on the Saturday morning right, stuff, but yep. I, I started off in the East Torrens, the fourth team, and uh, I was a, I was a very good, I was an extremely good C grader and a, and quite a good B grader and a very very ordinary A grader who went into the the A grade side to take someone's place when someone was promoted to the Sheffield Shield team. So um, yeah, um, I wasn't the greatest of cricketers, but I was certainly an extremely keen one, and I always made sure I. I knew all the laws and rules of any games that I played. We might so, have that uh, in common, Daryl. I think. Yes, yes I, I have ended up, you know, over the years, umpiring Australian rules football, basketball, cricket, and and baseball as well. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I left no stone unturned to find something I could do reasonably well. Because you got injured with football, didn't you? Playing, I did. I, I strained an Achilles uh, running around, uh, trying to push myself up the front of the pack in the training one year, and. Uh, I had to drop out of the footy and I uh, reverted or switched across to cricket umpiring, which is something that I'd already dabbled with as a student teacher. And, uh, yeah, I loved it. Um, umpired for the next uh, 28 years. Who did you play footy footy for? 
I played footy for Wattle Park Teachers College in Amateur League. We played in A3. Um, and then I went to the country teaching and I played for Port McDonnell in the Mid-Southeast League oh. and uh, came back to the town and uh, just played a couple of casual games for the Murray Park CAE. And then I switched to uh, to footy umpiring. I had a back neighbour who was umpiring seconds footy and it sounded good. And I absolutely loved it. I loved the travel to places like Piri and Augusta and uh, Lincoln and over to Kangaroo Island and even the little places like Snowtown and Blythe and Clare and all that sort of run. Um, yeah, it was it was a great uh, – it made Saturdays really interesting to uh, cover a couple of hundred Ks and umpire a game of footy. And of course, you played at both Teachers College and University with cricket, didn't you, Harps? No, I didn't play at uni because I, I never actually went to uni. I, in those days, you had to be a uni student okay, to that's play for them. Else which I, I only went to Wattle Park Teachers College where I got my uh, teaching diploma and advanced teaching yep. diploma. So, yeah, I never made it to uni. Um, I just didn't didn't make no, it. Read wrong. Now, there was one thing. Apparently, you were one of the very, very first people to use a helmet. I was, actually. That's a, that's a good, uh, good story yeah, to tell. Yeah. Better get yes, one right. I got, I got cleaned up at Price Memorial one day um, by Jeff Kowalik, actually. Oh, um, yep, I, yep. Had, I had the temerity to try and uh, hook, and this was in a B-grade game for East Torrens. And I hooked quite successfully, and uh, I'd actually made 99 in the first innings. I got caught off the glove of a leg spinner, um, and uh, the umpire was sharp enough to pick up the touch, which I was pretty disappointed about because there was no way I was walking. I wasn't a walker. No, I um, did have that in front of me, 99 at Hawthorne, so there you are. Yeah, and in the second innings, um, yes, I got to 56, and I was cleaned up and carried off unconscious and woke up in the change rooms. And uh, I was I was most most disturbed when I came back four or five hours later, having had my mouth stitched up inside and out, to discover that I was actually given out hit wicket. And I would have thought at the time that uh, once I got cleaned up, it would have been a dead ball and uh, it would have been retired hurt. But no, the bowler got the credit for that. I was disappointed. Yeah, McCosker, centenary test. Yeah, could argue yeah. on that one. That's probably <laughs> probably a little ambiguous the way that rule's written. Yes, well, I, some, some, some laws, you, you can yes. read them a couple of different ways, and I would always read them the way I wanted to. <laughs> okay, so then um, moving on, and obviously, so w- moving up the ranks with umpiring and the influences with umpiring with Mel McGuinness and, and others. Uh, yeah, right. Well, as a, as a youngster, Mel McGuinness had married one of my mother's cousins, a very close cousin who actually lived with my mother for a period of time, and... Uh, yeah, Mel McGuinness was umpiring his test matches in the in the 50s and uh, I always uh, headed over to his corner when we had a family function, a 21st or Christmas or, or some sort of wedding celebration. I'd, I'd always be keen on listening to his stories and I always had it in the back of my mind I wouldn't mind trying a bit of cricket umpiring. And, uh, yes, away I went. Uh, so I umpired a little bit of cricket in the country where the umpires aren't provided. Loved yep. doing it. Uh, Played a couple of seasons for the Coromandel Ramblers in Adelaide and Suburban. Once again, umpiring uh, whenever I wasn't batting. And uh, I thought to myself at the age of 31, this is something I really, I'm quite enjoying, so I'll take it on properly. So uh, I went out and uh, discovered that I was probably 10 or 15 years younger than anyone else in the room. And uh, I did hesitate, wondering what I was putting myself into. But I later realised that uh, it was actually an advantage only being 31 because... uh, well, a lot of the a lot of the umpires actually remembered me from my playing days. I played at East Torrens yep. two years earlier than that, so there were a lot of familiar faces, and I was lucky enough to be nurtured through the grades fairly quickly and into the first class ranks, and uh, and then I was away for um, 
doing doing the Shield games for uh, quite a number of years. So, so, yeah, so I, was, I was very fortunate. So it's safe to say uh, umpiring was always on the horizon, but really didn't take it seriously until uh, until you got in, got into it in a big way. Yes, well, it would also be honest of me to admit that I was one of those people that always made the umpires earn their money, whether it was when I was playing basketball, cricket or football. Um, I always had plenty to say. I always had a good knowledge of the laws. And I always... I was known to be a bit too talkative. So people were a little bit surprised when I took it on and uh, knowing my history of being a loudmouth, but uh, I managed to turn it to advantage and, and control myself. And, and no, knowing how much I'd given uh, umpires a hard time, I guess in a way I was prepared to accept a little bit because I'd handed it out. I had to be thick-skinned enough to accept it. So um, I, I always felt, felt that my... Uh, my ability to sort of build relationships with people on the field or off the field was always going to be an advantage. And, and being a, a primary teacher, you know, you've got to, you're always dealing with parents. Um, some uh, um, visiting nights, uh, just uh, interview times uh, yep. regarding children's welfare. There's always, you know, a relationship to develop, and and something I seem to enjoy doing, and, and did it reasonably successfully. So. Uh, that that's a that's a major asset that I think if you if you're going to officiate in a game you've got you've got to be able to deal with people and deal with them in a fair and an even way. When you uh, obviously got into um, umpiring on a um, a bit more of a serious uh, basis, did you see yourself umpiring at the top level someday? No, heavens no, no. I I uh, I certainly did not. I I was I guess I was umpiring A grade in my second season. And then I started to get a couple of games. I did an Australia versus India under-19 test match at the University Oval. Uh, when I say test match, I've, I've actually it was probably a one-day match. And that was probably in my second season. And I thought, gee, uh, this is interesting. There were a couple of What couple year of was that, Daryl? Uh, I'm thinking it was probably about 84, 85. Around about that era. Yep. Um, and there were members of the touring party with the Indians, a couple of the coaches who's whose names were, were, were memorable to me. They'd, they'd had careers in the first class or the test or the one-day arena. Oh, we, we, there wasn't much one-day arena at that yeah. stage. It was just developing, but they were names that I recognised. And, uh, yeah, I suppose I got a bit of a taste for it, and I thought, hmm, this could, this could develop into something good. So uh, when I got the opportunity, I certainly grasped it with two hands. And made your first class to boo in 1987? Yep, that's right. I started off with a game between South Australia and New Zealand. And uh, if I'd taken the advice of several of the New Zealand players, that would have been my final <laughs> game of umpiring. Let, let me, let uh, me guess, uh, go forth and multiply? <laughs> well, Ian, Ian Smith behind the stumps, he, he thought I should try uh, tennis umpiring because he, he'd seen Memorial Drive over the back. And, uh, yes, I think Martin Crow uh, was probably a little bit harsh when he offered me the cricket ball. He, actually said to me, you better keep this, son. You'll never get another game out here. And uh, I misunderstood it. I, I was thinking that he was being negative, but I think he was meaning that I was destined for higher things. So that's how I, that's how I interpreted it. Uh, good man, the late, great Martin Crow. So, uh, <laughs> then you made your test debut in uh, 1988 with umpire with Venkat. Yes, that was exciting. I went to Perth three times that month. It was November uh, in November ninety, was it ninety eight, Mark? Um, yep, yep. Yeah, ninety eight, ninety eight. Uh, I, I went there three times. Um, first to do a, a sh- no, a 
West Australia versus England game, one of the tour games. Um, then I went, came home. I went back and I went. I did a Shield game between West Australia and Victoria. And then I came home and I went back and I did a third game at the Wacker in the same month. And that was my first test. So that that was pretty good preparation. I, I felt pretty comfortable about how the ball was going to bounce and move around. And it was all yeah. over in two and a half days. Um, Australia cleaned them up. Dizzy Gillespie took wickets. Uh, Damien Fleming took wickets. Yes, that's and, right. Uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, two-and-a-half-day test. I thought, gee, this is all right. Sheffield Shield games go for four days. And here I am, two-and-a-half days, and the test's over. Especially at Adelaide oh, Oval. They always went for four days then. So. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's that's for sure. That's for sure. So, yeah, that was that was an interesting start with Venkat, who uh, turned out to be, you know, probably one of my less favourable partners. Venkat wasn't very good at offering signals to his colleagues on the field, and, in Australia, we've always had a system of working as a team, yep. and uh, I discovered at the very highest level that that didn't always apply. Um, in some players from certain nationalities, just worried about their own end, and they weren't interested in giving assistance, only in getting assistance. And unfortunately, Venkat was one of those people. So there would have been, uh, a however, bit of communication difficulties with some just um, language. Was there any? No, I can't. I can't say there were. No, no, no communication to, difficulties. Yeah. All, all the lads um, speak pretty good English. I mean, Aleem Dar is still going around years and years on. Uh, he's one of the more difficult ones to understand, yeah, to be honest. Yeah, I thought. But yep. um, no, he, he makes himself uh, clearly understood. No drama. And then the elite panel came along. Yes. the um, Well, first of all, the national grid panel was there. That's, yeah. that's initially what I was added to. There was a panel of about 20, 24 umpires two from every test-playing country and four from England. And I took uh, I took the place of Steve Randall, who unfortunately uh, ended up yes. being incarcerated for some yes. time. So yes. I was nominated to take his place. And uh, that was an interesting nomination because there were seven or eight other Australian umpires who had umpired test cricket. And I hadn't umpired a single test when I was appointed to that panel. And that kind of guaranteed me a couple of years of test cricket um, which I had not experienced until that moment. So, um, yeah, I think I umpired five or six games in the next, uh, like, 12, 18 months. Um, and then in 2000, that was uh, 1998, 99. And then 2002, uh, April the 1st, we started with the ICC Elite Panel. And I was lucky enough to be the only Australian on the panel to, when it certainly commenced in that year. And you're one of the uh, first umpires of the trial of the player referral system as well. Uh, oh, look, uh, yes. Uh, the, are you talking about the DRS? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, no. Can I just clarify? It's, it doesn't really stand for the Daryl Review System. Someone someone put that rumour out. It actually is the Decision Review System okay. and not the Daryl Review System. <laughs> However, uh, yes, yes, I, I, I was bitten by that. Uh, it, was, it was poorly planned when it was first used. It was extremely poorly planned in... For example, in a series in South Africa with England playing there, because the third umpire was only—oh, sorry—in in the Caribbean uh, earlier, rather I should say—the third umpire was only able to view the ball until it made contact with the batsman's pad or his body, and you had to decide whether the, the umpire's decision was correct, not knowing or not seeing the projected path of the ball. So you'd uh, you give the on-field umpire your best opinion. Uh, he'd make his final decision and the rest of the world would then watch 10 seconds later while the projected path of the ball was shown and it didn't always match what what, what we'd anticipated it would happen. 
So, yeah, that was that was fraught with danger the first few years of the DRS, but it's turned out to be a pretty reasonable system. We almost got stitched up effectively by, you know, in some regards, when England lodged a complaint when they had, as you said, they had better vision than what you did. It's quite yes, ridiculous, uh, really. Yes, yes, I was watching. I was watching and listening to the to the vision and sound provided by the local broadcaster, the South African Broadcasting Corporation, and the England boys in the change rooms on the other side of the wall next to me were taking the international feed, and it all it, it basically revolved around Graham Smith edging a ball from Ryan's side bottom, and uh, umpire Tony Hill from New Zealand giving him not out. And when I saw and listened to the replay. I had to confirm his decision is correct because there was no vision of the ball changing its 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 direction or the scene changing, and there was no sound. However, in the rooms next to me on the international feed, yes, they had a, they had a sound. They didn't have vision, of course, because it didn't exist, but they had a quite a clear click. And he should have been given out. Graham Smith went on. He was 15 runs at the time, and he made 100. And I think that enabled uh, South Africa to at least draw the series and not certainly not lose it. So it was quite controversial. There was an an eight an eight month inquiry. Yeah, that's um, right. I think it was called the Lockie Lloyd inquiry. Lockie was a um, uh, some sort of a, a legal eagle from Scotland, uh, tied up with the ICC. And Clive Lloyd, of course, uh, was uh, the eminent uh, former player and, and then referee. And after eight months, they confirmed that all the decisions I made in that game were in accordance with the regulations and the the protocols and I did not, absolutely nothing wrong. And um, yeah, that was the end of that. So I was I was cleared eventually, but it took a long time. Were you ever asked for any feedback on how you could have made the system a little bit better? Oh, I had plenty of advice. Uh, I, I usually gave that. <laughs> yes, <laughs> whether, yes. Whether they listened or not is another thing. Yes, well, at that stage, the third umpire was watching on a screen provided by the home board and that could have been the same one that you had in your, your back room at home, whereas the players had larger, more high-definition quality viewing um, and, and sound. They had, they had the best sound and the best viewing, and, and we, were, we were using makeshift equipment, and the same thing was happening here in Australia. It was a long time before the quality of the equipment matched the quality of the cricket. So we go through some of the umpiring highlights then, Harps. Because we umpiring highlights. Yeah. Um, well, here's a strange one. Um, I was the first umpire in the world to umpire test matches at 50 different venues. Wow. Uh, so, for, yeah. so for a start, you need to umpire yep. 50 tests, and there are not a lot of people that have done that. Yep. Uh, Aleem Dar has since gone past me because uh, he's still out there on the park. Uh, I think he might even be in uh, New Zealand during the current test. Um, uh, highlights, or I did a World Cup semi-final in uh, South Africa in 2003. I umpired the final of the 2009 T20 World Cup at Lords uh, with Simon Taufel and Steve Davis as our third umpire. And the only reason we could do that was because Australia didn't make the make final. The final, yeah, yeah. So that that was a highlight, umpiring with the Aussies and uh, yeah, being being there for the final. It's always a thrill to umpire at Lords. Uh, lucky enough to do three tests there as well. Um, look, to be honest, um, there were lots of highlights. Uh, a lot of them were just simply conversations. There were moments, not so much the decisions. Of course, there were decisions that raised a little bit of interest uh, from time to time around the world. Certain things happened and, um, you know, people interpreted in the way they wanted to. For example, the 1999 
only Adelaide test I ever did was... Uh, I was thinking I reckon you might bring this up, yep. Yeah, well, everyone else does. If, yep. if I get in 10 taxis, Malcolm, uh, eight of them will be driven by Sikhs. Yeah, uh, I still reckon those, it was out. Yeah, so do I. And out of those eight Sikhs, uh, four of them will turn around and say, uh, you're Harper, I know you, you gave out Tendulkar. <laughs> and, and we'll talk cricket all the way either to home or to the, the airport, wherever I'm heading. And uh, a couple of them will finish the journey with a selfie with me. So the interesting thing about India, and I I'm freely admit this, I have never, ever been abused by an Indian person. Sure, the uh, the journos might have written some uh, some harsh comments about me from time to time, but I've never actually been confronted and spoken to in a rude manner by any Indian on this planet. They are an incredibly respectful nation. Uh, they love their cricket. We think we're fanatical. We're not. Nothing, no, nothing com- like compares to India. And and they are so knowledgeable. They are extremely knowledgeable, and they have an opinion, and they love to uh, they love to talk cricket. Honestly. You don't receive so, uh, Christmas cards from uh, Donny, though, do you? No, but he doesn't get any from me either. <laughs> no, he, he was just a, a, a tough competitor, uh, Malcolm. He, he played it hard, and I did my job uh, hard, if you like. Uh, you're probably referring to the fact that uh, he was captain, and when I umpired my final test, it was my 95th, not 94th, by the way. Um, and uh, he did have a few harsh words about me, but um, I did become the, only the... Uh, well, I, I, I did uh, ban one of the bowlers, Praveen Kumar, I think it was, from bowling after running into the protected area. And it just happened that only Kumar and Ashish Naira uh, were the only two Indian bowlers that I was ever able to discover had been banned by an umpire because they ran into the protected area. And it just happened to be the same umpire on both occasions, um, <laughs> about about 11 years apart. Um, look, I, I don't know... Um, I, I I played it hard. He played it hard, and uh, hey, 95 was a good number. I thought, you know, number 96 would have been good. Would have rung a bell with the TV show I used to watch. Exactly. Um, <laughs> but I, in the end, I chose not to umpire the final test in that series, and instead, I was in Philadelphia watching the Boston Red Sox play the Phillies. Hey, 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 you're right yeah. up my alley yeah, there. I, I can tell you right now. <laughs> don't worry. I was going to bring that up with Pete. There, Pete's the. But you're. Your career did have a bit of a bizarre ending, Harps. Let's let's uh, give out oh, really? as much as you want as you want to in that regard. What you mean, Harper's bizarre? Oh. <laughs> uh, go for it, Harps. Oh, well, well um, Malcolm. The interesting story was that in May of 2011, I read I read in an article supplied by the ICC media department. I read that I'd been sacked from the elite panel, and. Um, I thought it was a strange way to find out. It was an article in the Sunday Times of Sri Lanka uh, coming out of Colombo. Anyway, uh, five or six hours after I read that article, uh, David Richardson, who was the chief at the uh, ICC based in Dubai at the time, rang me and started off with a little bit of small talk. And then I quickly uh, told him that I'd already read the article and what was the story. And he, he apologised that I'd found out that I'd been sacked in that regard. But he, he, t- he assured me that they were looking to add some new blood to the panel. And I was uh, well. I was I was the last of the original eight, actually. So the other seven are all gone, and I was the last survivor. And uh, they decided to replace me with a younger guy. But uh, it was a strange way to find out you'd been given the sack. 
And then it was strange that they still wanted me to umpire two tests that they'd appointed me to in the Caribbean. But uh, there was no way I was going to miss out on those once they said, no, no, we want you to fulfil that part of your contract because I already had plans to watch the Red Sox in Tampa Bay and the Red Sox in Philadelphia, and I didn't want to muck up those plans just for a game of cricket. (laughs) I like the way you think, mate. (laughs) So I went ahead with the cricket and I enjoyed the baseball. Now, it would be remiss if uh, you didn't give your better half a plug to Harps. The... Um, which one? Are you mean uh, my, my colleague at the other end of the or out at square leg? We'd be uh, talking about my wife. I thought you'd better give your wife a mention, Daryl. She would, uh, well, she'd, she'd have a crack at me if we didn't. She what? She'd have a crack at me justifiably if we didn't. Oh, well, yes. Well, she, she often has a crack at you anyway. Yeah, um, true. <laughs> no, uh, we just had our 50th wedding anniversary, actually, uh, Malcolm, last month. Congratulations. So, uh, yeah, thanks, thanks. Something's working. Um, you know, for 15 of those years, I was I was probably out of Australia for eight months a year. So uh, it was a strange connection, a strange relationship, but uh, I did make sure that Maureen travelled with me somewhere every year whenever I went away, and uh, I encouraged her to resign from her teaching role a year early. And she travelled a lot more with me in my final year, or what turned out to be my final year. Um, I was I was thinking I might have gone a little bit longer. I was always aiming to try and make the century, but anyone that saw me bat knew that I didn't make hundreds very often. So uh, <laughs> no reason why I should with a hundred tests. Now we better. It's, I'm glad you've mentioned that ton because I, I can assure you that Was would quite rightly have a crack if we didn't mention you did get a hundred down the down Mount Gambier, hundred and four at Mount Gambier, and. Uh, <laughs> And also yeah. your best bowling figures. It's something else we have in common, Harps. Eight for 48. Yes. Well, I got that against a team called Yall, Y-A-H-L, which is where Sleepy came from. Yes. Uh, yes. There were no no sleeps in the team at that stage. Um, yes, and uh, I, I did enjoy my country cricket because I ended up, you know, basically being the captain and the coach, and, and I was the number one umpire. If I wasn't batting, I was out there in the middle umpiring. I'd much rather do that than sit and score or... Uh, some I realised that the guys I was pl- I was playing with were either foot were either fishermen or farmers. The same in my football team. So most of them had got up early to do their day's work before they got to the footy and the cricket. Um, and me being a school teacher, all I'd done was probably slept in and you know had a late breakfast. And uh, these these guys they loved their sport. It was a great outlet for them, and they loved to chat. And uh, I've always enjoyed a chat. So. I think I fitted in pretty well down in the southeast for three years. And of course, Port uh, Mac uh, also is the home of Froggy Murdoch. So yes, yes, and uh, I, can't, I think a couple of the Murdoch boys might be playing in a uh, a fundraising game tomorrow night at McDonald Park in Mount Gambier. Right. Um, that being the like around about the sixteenth or seventeenth of uh, February. Um, yeah, there's a fundraising game going on, and there's a couple of Murdochs, and I believe. Um, there are a few uh, a- AFL players uh, playing. Uh, a former Collingwood uh, uh, AFL player by the name of uh, Davis, Leon Davis, is there. Yep. And also one that's covered in uh, tattoos is also fronting up for a game of uh, footy. Dane Swan. Yeah. Dane Swan. And I-, I believe he's also fronting up for Nang Warri's first game in another month. I'm not sure how they've signed him on, but, uh, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a thriving sporting area. They love their sport. And uh, this fundraising football game is actually for a sad cause. It's uh, regarding um, headspace of 
especially young men down there. They've unfortunately lost a few in the yeah. last year or two. Yeah. And uh, they're, they're trying to make something positive happen to, with this footy match Great. tomorrow. So I'm heading down to support it. Good to hear. Mate, I have to ask, uh, just going back to your, your umpiring and obviously all the grounds you umpired at, was there a favourite ground that you, you enjoyed umpiring at, uh, not only from the ambience but of also hospitality and and, uh, and yeah, the players? I, I mean, I, I always I, – I was once I started, I really wanted to umpire a test on Adelaide Oval and I, I got that in when that India test, that's the only yeah. one I did. I did I did seven in Australia and then – then I couldn't umpire in Australia anymore, so I did 88 overseas. But seven of those I did at Gaul. Uh, the southern tip of Sri Lanka um, is a beautiful fortress on the headland, um, and I wrote on the right down on the on the southern tip of, of Sri Lanka. It's a it's a beautiful location, and the sea the sea is visible uh, around the the fortress and. Uh, it's a it's a pretty little ground. I, I remember my, my first test was there in the year 2000. I umpired with Peter Manuel, a local umpire. And honestly, I came off and I was absolutely exhausted. Uh, the amount of spin that Murley and his cohorts were getting was just phenomenal. I remember saying to, to Peter, this, this is not the game that I've been umpiring in Australia. This is like a different sport. In the first session of play, there'd be four batsmen, four fieldsmen gathered around the batter and uh, they would all be within spitting distance and the ball would be turning at right angles, clouds of dust coming up every time the ball pitched, appeals every third delivery it seemed. Yeah. It was it was a really hard workout. But I, I umpired there before and after the tsunami. I was going to ask that, yep. Mm. yep. And I believe, I believe 160,000 people perished in that area yeah. uh, or, or very nearby and uh, it was devastated. The, the fortress... Uh, only had one entry and that was on the land side, the inland side and anyone inside the fortress was actually quite safe. The tsunami swept by on two sides and just completely swamped the cricket ground possibly to, you know, 10 or 20 or 15 feet. Um, it was it was a massive uh, uh, wash. There was an English schoolboy cricket team about to play. I think it was 9.25 in the morning and they were just about to go out on the field when the alarm went up and they all scrambled into the grandstand and got as high as they could. And I believe one of the English lads had a father who was still sitting on the team bus, and that bus was just swept away. Wow. And uh, I'm not sure where it was discovered in in time later on, but 160,000 people yeah. perished. But those people were just so resilient. They loved their cricket down there too, just like they, they, they do in India. And uh, they're very respectful. They... Um, they're always very colourful. There's chanting, there's singing, there's drums, there's music going on all the time. And it's just an exciting place to be, um, especially if the, the Barmy Army happened to be in town with the English boys and then you actually get to hear your name come up a few times in the <laughs> Barmy Army song. <laughs> but so so Gaul is my, is my special place, seven test matches. Um, I did enjoy it. The groundsman there came to me the first day with a bottle of Jacobs Creek Chardonnay. He knew I liked a white wine. And I umpired seven test matches. Every single day of every single test, he would arrive after stumps with a bottle out of his fridge of Jacobs Creek Chardonnay. Um, so they looked after me pretty well. And uh, and I, I really am still very, very fond of that place and those people. I've got lots of wonderful friends there. No, fair enough, and, too. And a, lo- and a local wine, too. Yeah. He did his research. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yes, exactly. Um, I was there. I was there when Murley played his last test. Murley decided with seven hundred and I think seven hundred and ninety-two wickets, he was going to play one test against India in the three-test series. He was he was looking to get the eight wickets to take him up to uh, the eight hundred. In the first innings, I think he took five, and he was looking for three in the second innings. And I remember thinking to myself, "Oh, good, uh, Rod Tucker will be able to look after him this innings." I had him for most of the first innings, and after two overs, I was most disappointed to see Murley come off, and he switched ends and came down to my end, and uh, he did eventually snare the the last three wickets he needed, and uh, fortunately the last one was caught in slip by Joe Wadner. It was Ojar, the tail ender for India, and the, he had the 800 wickets, and the test was over. It was Basically, the test was over. Sri Lanka needed 75 runs to win in the fourth innings, and Murley uh, retired with 800 scalps, and I realised, uh, looking back, I'd umpired him in 21 test matches, and I'd seen him take 120 of his 800 wickets. So, and just think, uh, if, um, interesting career. if umpires had been supported more and the rules hadn't been changed, you wouldn't have umpired him at all, Harps, effectively. Well, yeah, that's the thing. I, I umpired him in Adelaide in my second ODI in 1995, and I reckon it was the West Indies versus uh, Sri Lanka. And 11 days later was the Boxing Day uh, situation where Daryl Hare did call him for throwing. And I honestly can't actually remember whether he bowled at my end or I was at square leg in that ODI. But uh, I do have a very positive recollection from that match. I'd waited nearly two years between my first ODI and my second. And here I was fronting up on Adelaide over West Indies versus Sri Lanka. And there was a run out and I looked across at the non-striker. And the non-striker was a great big tall guy by the name of Roger Harper. Yes. And Rod- Roger comes from Guyana, um, uh, off-spin bowler, great yep. field- fieldsman and middle-order batsman. I'd never met Roger, but he was standing there after a run out. And uh, I attracted his attention. I said, excuse me, Roger, but there's two Harpers up on the scoreboard. That's pretty unusual. And he glanced up at the beautiful Adelaide Oval scoreboard and worked out what I was talking about and looked back and just nodded. And I thought, oh, yeah, okay, well, didn't get much of a reaction, but at least I got a reaction. <laughs> so I I said, uh, do you think we might be related? <laughs> and, and Roger thought about it for a few moments, and he replied in a voice that sounds to me like he was doing a Barry White imitation, a beautiful, deep voice. He said, maybe if you go way, way back. <laughs> and from that moment onwards, where I saw Roger Harper in the world, because uh, he did continue to play, and he also coached Kenya. He would always greet me with a high five and say, g'day, cuz. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I managed to break the ice in a nice way, and uh, we had a, always had a good relationship. So, uh, yeah, that, that, that was a positive uh, memory uh, from that second ODI way back in 95. Other favourite memories then? Favorite play- any favourite players? Yeah, that was going to be my next question. Uh, favourite players, T. Or, be, or uh, best players, what you thought? Yes, I, I, there weren't too many people that I didn't like. Uh, I mean, cricket's a game. Cricket's a game that sorts out the the wheat from the chaff. I mean, if you're going to play cricket, you've got to be prepared to hang around and field for a day, and you know, perhaps not get any runs or not have much of a bowl. So, you know, there's only a certain type of person can actually survive in cricket. So, there's a lot of good people, but one that always impressed me was. Irfan Patan, the left armour from India. Yeah, yeah. Irfan was a he was a young bloke. Um, I do recall he took a hat trick in the opening over of the only 
India-Pakistan test I umpired yep. uh, in, pa- in Pakistan. Um, yes, uh, Pakistan was three for naught when I walked in from square leg, <laughs> and they were six for 39 at drinks, and uh, they ended up winning the test by about 325 runs. It was quite a bizarre test, um, but it's a, a great memory. But young Irfan was playing one day, and he was fielding at square leg near me, and he said, uh, Harper, they usually use your last name, Harper, do you have a family? And I said, yes, mate, I've got a son and a daughter, and they're probably both about your age. How old are you? And he said, uh, I'm 18. I said, so is my daughter. Oh, I said, are you single? He said, yes. Is your daughter single? Yes. So we thought about it, and the game went on. And, uh, and a year later, I might have seen him in uh, Zimbabwe or South Africa or England, and the conversation just continued for five years. Um, is your daughter still single? Yes. Are you still single? Yes. And I eventually introduced them to each other in India when my daughter was backpacking around. We were, I think we were in uh, Ahmedabad for a test match, and uh, she came in, and uh, she, they were introduced to each other, and I think they were both highly embarrassed because this had been going on for years. And then later on, later on, I read that he'd married this beautiful Bollywood princess, and the next time I saw him, I told him how disappointed I was because he had been my retirement plan and uh, <laughs> that had gone gone up in smoke. But no, lovely, lovely lad. But uh, I, I remember the conversations I had with people and the warmth and the friendship you have on the cricket field, um, uh, probably a lot clearer than I do the individual performances. Uh, I mean, I, I, I was there when a lot of things happened. I, I was lucky enough to... Well, I, I was unlucky enough to be in India when there was a horrible terrorist attack on Mumbai. Yeah, yeah. And we were playing a game of cricket in over on the far east coast in a place called Cuttack. And England had lost the first four ODIs to, to India. And this was the fifth of seven. And as the batsmen came out uh, to take up their, their position at the fall of each wicket, there'd be a new story. Someone would say, well, someone's, you know, the, the, the terrorists have attacked uh, the, the Towers Hotel, which we'd been occupying a week or two earlier. And then they had attacked the railway station. And, and as the night wore on, the story got worse. And by the morning, we discovered that 164 people had been been killed by these terrorists. And uh, uh, the, uh, the English boys decided they would head home. They wouldn't play the last two ODIs or the two tests. So they took off. I came back to Adelaide. And I'd only been here for about... Uh, uh, 24 hours, and I got a call to say that the two test matches were going to be played in different venues. They they were going to play the first test down in, in Chennai, down in the south, well away from Mumbai, and then the the other one was going to be up in Mahali. And would I like to come back for them? Well, I hadn't even emptied my suitcase, so I obviously loved doing the job I did, so I said yes. I went to Chennai, and there was a very emotional game with masses and masses of soldiers and and police at the ground, more military than than spectators. And India India won that test on the fifth afternoon when Tendulkar brought up his 41st test century with a little clip down to the the leg side boundary, fine leg boundary. And um, India had won the game and it was a nice fillip for the nation after, you know, the brutality of 164 people dying. So, yeah, I've got lots and lots of wonderful cricket memories and um, I, I just look back and realise how fortunate I was to uh, to take up that job and, and lucky enough to do it reasonably well. So if you had to rank bats, batsmen, uh, Lara, Tendulkar or uh, an Australian of your choice, 
Uh, I think I'd always have to put Sachin first. He was he was very very special, and as part of the specialty of Sachin was he was just such a lovely, quiet, humble guy. Um, when I gave him out in controversial circumstances in that Adelaide test, um, he was actually the captain, and I know for a fact that uh, that decision didn't rate a mention on the umpires' report. So he, he had to fill in a, a report on the yeah. two umpires. And that one wasn't even worthy in his mind of, of commenting upon. So um, he was a very fair guy. You know, in, in years after the times after that, we would have discussed that a number of times and it was always very amicable. He was a very easy bloke to talk with. I do recall on the morning in Cuttack with all that brutality and death over in Mumbai, which was his home city, I do remember him coming over to me at the breakfast table to find out you know how I was handling the situation. He was, he was cool and calm enough to care for someone that was a visitor in his country when all that brutality was happening in his own city, and he must have had family and friends that yeah. he needed to be checking upon. So I thought, you know, that that speaks volumes for the quality of the guy. Daryl, one other thing, a little bit from left field. You were an ambassador for Arana, an Adelaide company providing employment for people with disabilities, and knowing you. Harps, that's something you would have loved to be involved with. Uh, I did. I did. I only did that for a short time. I think I might have been one of their first ambassadors. And uh, it was fascinating to go and visit um, some of the workshops and uh, some of the sites where they had people employed. Um, the spirit of those people was was just fantastic. I did one tour uh, of a number of facilities with John Swan, um, Jimmy Barnes' brother. Yep. And and he he took his guitar with him. And he fired away and played his guitar. And the workers at each of the venues that we stopped at, um, they were having a break and they they came in for a bit of an impromptu concert. And uh, uh, honestly, that those rooms were really buzzing with excitement and appreciation. And uh, yeah, I, I did. I, I really, enjoy, I thoroughly enjoyed being an ambassador for Arana. That was a uh, that was a lovely, lovely gesture that they made to to invite me to be that. Um, there is one ambas- ambassadorship that I'm still very proud of, uh, Malcolm, and I probably uh, don't need to tell you that yes. it's one with the certain football club, the mighty Adelaide Crows. Yes, with the Crows, but I, I think I'd prefer the red and blue involvement. You know, yes, in- well, I'm a, I, I'm a staunch member there. Uh, yes. I'm, I'm just as passionate, if not more, about the, the red legs. Um, the red legs don't play overseas very often, and I did notice that the Crows <laughs> were going to play in Dubai in 2008. And I looked on the cricket calendar and discovered that the West Indies were touring South Africa. Uh, and South Africa is not all that far from, well, <laughs> it's on the same continent, the same line as Dubai. Um, it's only a, an eight and a half hour flight difference. But I worked out that if I could umpire that series, I could get into Dubai on my way home to see the footy. Uh, Crows versus Collingwood, 2008, about the 4th of February. So I put in a request to my manager asking if I could do the one-day series in South Africa. And he very quickly reminded me that we were appointed independently. We couldn't request games. It was a matter of waiting to see what we were appointed to. But he inquired, why would I want to go to Dubai? Uh, Why would I want to go to South Africa? I said, because that'll get me into Dubai to watch the Crows play Collingwood. Uh, He he is a Kiwi. Um, He doesn't work at the ICC anymore. But Doug immediately said, well, that's a good enough reason for me. You can do the series. So Maureen, had, Maureen accompanied me. We did the five one-dayers around the five big centres in South Africa over a two, two-and-a-half-week period. 
and all the time our focus was on the flight took, that took us from Joburg back up to uh, Dubai. We rocked up on the first day we arrived in Dubai, went out, found the Crows were training at the police academy and uh, went out and, uh, yeah, we, we were just, we've always been passionate Crows supporters yep. and, and we still are. And I was lucky enough to be made an ambassador. Well, hopefully they have a pretty good year this year for you, mate. They're uh, tracking on the right direction. Well, we could always talk about the the Redlegs grand final win from last year for another hour or so, Harp. So that, that well, would, yes, that'd I, be easy. Uh, I've got my ticket to go and watch Fortis. I hope you're doing the yes, same. Yes, uh, I good. have. I'll yes. see you there. Yes, you will. <laughs> Look, Daryl, greatly appreciated. Uh, fantastic reminiscing memories. Look, I, I admit I probably... You know, you, you do still hold roles with match refereeing and, and all that, and I've deliberately left out the current situation in here because I personally, so I'm not speaking on behalf of you, thought what happened with their preparation of the first pit, test pitch was unforgivable and disgraceful, and I thought I really better not get you to comment on that for uh, your own good. So that was quite deliberate, Harps. Oh, so, thanks for that. Yes. I am still employed by Cricket yeah, Australia, exactly. so I do exactly. have to be cautious, but... Yes. Uh, yeah, perhaps uh, perhaps I'll include that in in my publication when yes, I get it out. Yes, uh, following we'll in your footsteps that. with your book. Thanks, Harps. Yes. <laughs> Thank you very much, Daryl. It's been an absolute pleasure, and uh, I certainly uh, learned a few things there, and um, and it was fantastic to hear some of your stories. Oh, thanks a lot. I always enjoy sharing them. It's uh, uh, you know I look back and I, I still shake my, my head and wonder how lucky I was to be just in the right place at the right time and find something that I enjoyed doing. Um, you know just. Uh, just comes from having a passion for for sport and especially for cricket. And uh, little did I know when I uh, umpired my first game, it would have been the Shell Shield in around about 1968 when I was at Teachers College. Uh, I certainly didn't realise or didn't even envisage that I'd go on to to umpire 95 test matches. So, yeah, uh, in the right place at the right time and loved what I did and still enjoy what I'm doing. These days I, I select umpires for the BBL and the Sheffield Shield and the, the Marsh One Day Cup. So that's my involvement. I don't uh, referee anymore, but I do. Uh, I, I am actively involved yeah, in, in yeah, encouraging yeah. the umpires. Yeah. Well, mate, you've been a great ambassador for not only South Australia but uh, cricket umpires all over the world, I'm sure. Thanks, mate. Good on you. Thank Cheers. you. Thanks, Thanks, Harps. Boys. Appreciate it.